Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Well, I want to start this morning with another quick announcement, and that is that uh, there will be no service on Sunday, September 12th. Uh, on Sundays or Friday through Sunday, there's some of us that are going to be on a marriage retreat out of town, and we won't be back till Sunday afternoon. And I also want to take this opportunity as an aside pastorally to um, to say that you know a lot of times when you visit a church or when you're at a church, a different sections and different parts, um, depending on where you're at in life, might feel like. Uh, less important than other parts. And I think sometimes the church does this with marriages. And, I, and we're very aware of that and want to be very careful about that. That's why we're not going to do a lot of things, particularly for marriages. It's just that this one worked out, my mentor's leading it, and it's just going to be good, and they will give everyone else a Sunday off. But I wanted to say that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom and even if sometimes, whatever stage in life, um, some, of, some people are still healing from divorce, some people, God has called them to be single, some people are wanting to be married, but no matter what stage you are in life, you are part of a big extended family where no person is more important than the other. And where the church would be just fine um, without me standing up here. Because we believe that the body of Christ, no matter what life situation you find yourself, is as healthy and good as how many people are using their gifts and involved and feel a part of it and feel loved and feel accepted and feel seen. So no matter what stage you are in your life, you're part of the family and we love you. The second thing that I want to say is, or just go over really quickly Uh, What we talked about last week, and we talked about the golden rule by way of review, and we said that the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, it only works when you have godly, good, and righteous desires. So if you desire and want the wrong things, then you're going to give the wrong things to others. So the golden rule works if you are walking in step with God and living how he designed us to live. And then we talked about the verse that says the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And what we found out is that following Jesus isn't always pain-free. It's not suffering-free. In fact, sometimes uh, following Jesus adds suffering and pain and chaos to your life. But what we discovered the week before that is when you have this conversational prayer life with God, he empowers you with the Holy Spirit to greater to greater degrees that you can handle life as it shows up at your front steps. You are equal to the task of every moment of your life when you are walking in step and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So yes, life can be difficult at times. It is for everybody. There's no way to avoid suffering and we're seeing that in greater and greater degrees for our brothers and sisters and friends and fellow humans in Kabul and Afghanistan, and we're, it, we're more aware of it globally now, but it affects us too. The Holy Spirit can help us handle whatever happens. Today we're looking at a warning that Jesus gives his followers about a group of people who are trying to infiltrate the church called false prophets. Now this is coming off of Jesus saying, it's going to be hard sometimes. And false prophets can sometimes sneak into the church and start saying, actually, you can experience a pain-free life. 
you can live suffering free. There's different things that you can do if you just have enough faith or if you just listen to enough worship music. Like you, can, you don't have to experience this type of suffering in the world. So Jesus, right after saying that the way is narrowed and, and it's, it's hard too, it's difficult too, he warns about people who will come into the church and, and say otherwise. And prophets, uh, a very simple way that we can understand it for today is people who speak for God, who stand in front of other people and say things about God that make you happy. Really, a true prophet, when you, when you learn something new about God, it energizes your life, it deepens your faith, it deepens your rest. That's what a prophet does, speaks on behalf of God. Now, this is relevant for us because false prophets have bad intentions. And there are a lot of voices and we're going to get to this, in the world today, even in church world, that we have to be careful about. And we have to, remember we always say, you have to be street smart as a Christian. You have to be street smart. You have to be able to recognize when someone's not telling the truth with their words or with their life. So, it's in Matthew 7, 15 through 20. And you can either find it on an app on your phone, or you can open your Bible, or you can just listen. We always, you know, I've said this a lot, that the Bible was meant, it was originally written to be heard. So you can just listen if you want to and not follow along. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, this is Jesus talking, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. He didn't say you'll recognize them by what they say necessarily. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the reason why a false prophet is so dangerous is because they claim to speak for God. They claim God's authority when they speak. And the reason why we have to be careful is because, I mean, they'll put anyone on TV these days. There's not like a filter. We're going to make sure that what you're saying and how you're living is godly. There's, there's no really... Filter like that. And anyone can create a platform. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. Anyone can have a podcast. Anyone can... I mean, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was standing in front of the... I literally remember this day. I was standing in front of the, the, our group, and I said, how many of you have heard of this thing called Twitter? Nobody heard of it yet. And I was so proud of myself because I was actually like... I got these newsletters and stuff that other people did the research, but I, I knew what was happening. I have no idea what's happening now. But then I knew, I knew Twitter was coming around the corner. And they're like, what is that? And I said, it's, it's something where you can share your opinion 24 hours a day and have people that read your opinion, that are interested in your opinion. They're like, why would anyone care what anyone thinks? Like, it was the crazy, and I'm like, you're right. Why would anyone? Um, but there are a lot of voices out there. And there are a lot of people who claim to be speaking for God. And sometimes, like even on TV, if we see someone on TV, we just assume that they've been like assessed and approved. But they haven't. So today's passage, false prophets appear to us in sheep's clothing. 
which means that somebody will see a false prophet and just assume that they're a Christian. A sheep is a, a common metaphor for a Christian. So Jesus is saying, these people will actually look like Christians. In fact, some of them even appear to have astoundingly powerful and fruitful ministries. Because a lot of things pass today as God's blessing. So, you know, we'll say things like, you know, look at all the good the person's done. I mean, there's no way that person could be a false prophet because look at all the good they've done. Or look how powerful their ministry is. Look at the miracles. It has to be from God. I mean, miracles are happening. It's got to be from God, right? Not necessarily. This is in your notes, Matthew 24, 24. It says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now this verse is in the context of describing the last days. And if you're wondering when the last days are, you're living in them. Because anyone that lives between the periods of Jesus' first and second coming is considered to be living in the last days. So in other words, what he's saying is there might be false prophets out there leading ministries that appear to be powerful and fruitful, even performing miracles that are actually not from God, even to the point of fooling the elect, which is another way of saying Christians, even to the point of fooling Christians. So it can be really tricky out there discerning who is actually speaking for God so I want to give us some very specific things to look for. How do I know if I'm listening to a false prophet? Someone who claims to be speaking for God, but isn't actually speaking for God. So if you follow along in your notes, and if you don't have a bulletin, you can grab one. You can probably go back in there, and there's one sitting. Uh, or there's an usher somewhere around here. Just raise your hand if you need one. We'll just do it that way. I didn't think that went through very well. Um, so false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God but does not, A, teach that Jesus is the Son of God through his life, death, and resurrection is the sole way to salvation. So this is a big one. A lot of Christians will hear this and will be like, that's a no-brainer. Got that one down. You know, we don't believe that there are many ways to salvation. We believe that there's one way because Jesus is the source and author of life himself. So if you want to have true and abundant life, you go to the author and the creator and life itself, and that is Jesus. So we say the way to experience this eternal life, which means, um, or everlasting life, which means quantity of life forever, and also quality of life now, is Jesus, and he's the only way. Easy enough, okay? So if they say that's not true, that's a pretty telltale sign. What about this? A false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God but does not teach others to be faithful to the teachings and the way of life that Jesus taught and lived. In other words, teaching that there's a way to think or there's a way to have enough faith that you can avoid suffering, that's, one of the, that's a false teaching because that's not true in the life of Jesus or in his teachings at all. And another one is that, you know, this idea that we don't need to repent, this idea that we're all good inside, at our core we're good. And... Um, Completely skipping over this idea that actually there's a million and one ways right now that I'm living in opposition to God. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own way. 
I don't want to have to bend to somebody else's rules. And repentance is simply saying, I actually believe that you know me better than I know me and that your way is better than my way. And I'm letting down my guard and I'm saying, I surrender to you and I'm going to live your way. So repentance is turning from me living the way I want to to me living the way that God is making me want to. That's repentance. And a false prophet kind of ignores that part of Christian teaching. All of our life is repentance, other people have said. And that's true. We're always turning more wholeheartedly to God and less away from our own desires that are dragging us away from him. So this type of church, there's not a lot of difference. You can't really see a lot of difference between the people in the church and the rest of the world. It all, everyone just kind of looks the same. It's like, what are we all doing here? <laughs> we, we don't need to be here. There's nothing different about us. We can just do whatever the world says. And, and I mean, it's, there's no real reason for us to be here on Sunday mornings. Let's just save each other's time. Those are probably pretty clear to most of us, but what about this one? This is the one that's a little tricky. This is the one I think we neglect sometimes. C, a false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God but does not demonstrate growing evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives or in the lives of those they shepherd and disciple. Have you ever met a ministry leader that everyone in who is left in their wake is either hurt or angry. You ever met someone like that? And for some reason, we just kind of let them all go unchecked. Nobody, nobody says anything. We kind of all have this mentality that, man, they really know the Bible. I guess that's just their personality. I mean, I know they must love people. They run over people. I think it's just that they have a strong personality, which is my favorite way of veiling sin. Can you imagine a pastor having the goal to put someone in their place with a strong personality if Jesus was there in person sitting in the room? Because Jesus didn't sit quietly by when he saw someone getting belittled, especially when it was being done to them by a religious person in his name. Didn't like that. So when someone says that's just the way they are, they have a strong personality, so sometimes they come across as harsh, I think it's important for us to remember that sinful means don't justify righteous ends. In other words, the way that you do it actually is as important as what you're doing. If someone is harsh and belittling, it doesn't matter what they're talking about, they're sinning. We're going to hit this home. I want everybody to understand this by the time that we leave, because the question is, did Jesus have a strong personality? Well, he did when he was dealing with people with strong personalities, because he would match force with force. So a lot of times religious leaders who came across bowed up, and looking for a fight, Jesus matched it. But he did it with compassion. He actually did it with loving intentions to save everyone involved, including the Pharisees. How did Jesus describe his own personality? If it takes a strong personality to be a ministry leader, we should assume that we see that in Jesus, right? Here's a test. I want you to think of somebody, because we all know them, 
And probably we've all been this person at times. I know I have, and I, it's, my, it's my default mode across, apart from the Holy Spirit. But I want you to get someone in your mind, maybe someone who's in a, in a position of Christian authority, who knows a ton of the Bible. That's important. They know a lot of Bible. A lot. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But they don't treat people very well. Now, imagine them describing themselves the way that Jesus describes himself. So seriously, get this person in your mind. Get this person in your head. Think about this person. Now, imagine them saying this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here's the important part. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls around me as I point you to Jesus. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you imagine them saying that with a straight face? If you can't, that's telling. Now, I had some strong emotions come to service as I was preparing this teaching because my heart is grieved by pastors and ministry leaders who misrepresent Jesus myself included when I do that. And I'll say it publicly and a little bit strongly, a lot bit strongly, I really believe that for the misogynistic, mean-spirited, belittling religious leader, there seems to be evidence that a day of reckoning is coming. And maybe here. Jesus is compassionately exposing some of the foolishness and arrogance behind that type of leadership in the American church. The Spirit seems to be raising up people who are finally brave enough to speak truth to power. Kind of feels like Jesus has had enough. And for us personally, let's have a little aside for a family meeting about this. I'll give you some inside baseball. That's why in January... We are launching this thing called a shepherd team, which is a team of people who will help provide wise and loving spiritual oversight for Southside. In other words, we're paying attention to where the wind of the Spirit is moving, and we want to join Jesus. So these people will be acutely trained in spiritual discernment. We're not just making things up to do because we feel restless. We're paying attention to where Jesus is moving, and then we're coming around him to join him in that work. But part of the responsibility of the shepherd team will be to keep an eye on me. Because we can't have rogue pastors running around treating people however they want to treat people. And if there should ever come a day that I am not consistently treating people with dignity, respect, and grace, there needs to be an authority structure in place where people can say, Greg, we love you. You either need to repent of this. You're getting harsh. You're getting mean. You're getting brutal. You're getting impatient. You need to repent and turn back and ask God for grace to change or you're disqualifying yourself for ministry. That is the proper use of Christian authority. And I mean, it's for my own good too. I need people who can sniff out when I'm starting to have a power trip because that means I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit. And let me get even more practical in spelling this out because I think we're so confused in the church today because there's so much crazy that passes as ministry in the walls of churches. 
So I want to be really clear. Any person here at any time should feel totally safe and free to come up to me, to come up to Alex, to come up to Kara, to come up to court, to come up to anyone else in this room and say, you know what, you embarrassed me when you did that. You were a little belittling. You kind of humiliated me. You were sharp. You were overbearing. You were unnecessarily forceful. You corrected me in a way that made me feel small. And not be afraid that we're going to bite your head off, (laughs) which is often the case in churches. Because that's required of all of us. That's called being a Christian. When humility isn't one of the first words we think of when we think of a pastor or any Christian for that matter, no matter how well the person knows the Bible, I care not. I am not impressed when people have a verse for everything. That means zero. Satan has a verse for everything. The Pharisees knew scripture better than anyone else in that time, and Jesus was not impressed. I do not care how well somebody knows the Bible. I'm not impressed. If humility isn't one of the first words you think of when you think of that person, they are not walking in love and they are not representing Christ. And if it's a ministry leader and it's ongoing, that qualifies them as a false prophet. Because even though they may be speaking the truth with their words, they're speaking lies with their actions. So they're misrepresenting God. Humor me for one more thing. If you had to describe Jesus, this is really important. If you had to describe Jesus in two words, I mean the opposite of Jesus. Get him in your mind. Now what words would you describe the opposite of his character, the opposite of his personality, the opposite of his come off? What two words would you use to describe him, the opposite of him? I'll offer mine. Angry and judgmental. So if I'm a pastor and I'm angry and judgmental and I'm only getting more angry and more judgmental with age and I'm kind of enjoying putting people in their place, there's a good chance I'm a false prophet. No kidding. So Jesus suggests that to determine if someone is a false prophet or not, we ought to examine the fruit of their ministry the fruit of their lives. So let's look at some bad fruit and then some good fruit and we'll call it a day. Some bad fruit. There's a passage that describes it beautifully. It's in your notes, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4. Paul says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, not just what you say, but how it affects how you live, here's what he says. If that's not true, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. You think I'm being strong. (laughs) Paul's being pretty clear. Understands nothing. No matter how much you know the Bible, you know nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, etc., Let's just look at puffed up with conceit. A false prophet is never wrong. It could be a Christian, it could be a ministry leader. It could be anybody. A false prophet is never wrong. 
when you have a conversation with them, it never really feels like you're, you're having a humble gathering with a friend around Scripture. Instead, it feels like they're, they're wearing you down. They're crushing you with an avalanche of Scripture. I mean, there's no arguing with them. They have an answer for everything. They have a verse for everything. They're not even hearing you. And for some people who run into this type of false prophet that is still very much alive in the church today, it can be very intimidating, can it? Because I think we probably have all dealt with someone like this. And it can be very intimidating. So let me give you a helpful rule of thumb. First thing to know is when you run across someone who knows a ton of Scripture but doesn't actually know Scripture very well, let me riff on that because that's a weird thing to say. They know a ton of Scripture but they don't know Scripture very well. It's like I was saying, they have a verse for everything. And they'll, they've memorized it, and they'll quote it to you. They'll tell you where it's at. They'll tell you, you need to study this. You need to think about this. You need to learn from this. I mean, it's, they just know a lot. They're, they're pronouncing all the names in the, correctly. They know how to say all the cities correctly in the Bible. They use weird, minor Old Testament characters that nobody else really thinks of, and they're giving this whole teaching. All this. You're like, I've never even heard of that person. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. They know exactly how the world's going to end, what's going to happen when they are experts in revelation. I mean, they just, they got everything down. They know a lot of scripture. But they have a very superficial surface level understanding of scripture. So they, a lot of quantity, very little quality. When someone like that is talking with you about scripture, it often feels like, here's a dead giveaway, you ready? It often feels like you're being scolded. Has anyone ever experienced that besides me? Someone that's using Scripture to scold you? Here's the rule of thumb. If someone is using Scripture in such a way that it makes you feel defensive, belittled, or intimidated, they're not using Scripture properly. I'll say it again. If someone is using Scripture in such a way that it makes you feel defensive, belittled, or intimidated, they're not using Scripture properly. So in that case, you recognize it. Oh, you're scolding. Okay. Um, you can just say very politely, very gently, very graciously, something like, oh, I'm sorry, this, is, this must be really awkward for you. Um, I'm actually an adult. <laughs> like, I, may, may, I might look like I'm five years old, but I, I'm actually an adult, and the scolding thing that you're doing is cute, but it's not... It's, that doesn't work on adults, so great conversation. Like, seriously, this is a danger, this is a wolf. Walk away, and they're going to chase you with Scripture, and you just say, I'm not hearing it, just bye. Now, I'm not saying that we don't sometimes need to be corrected. We do, and it's one of the roles that Jesus invites us to play in one another's lives. But the Bible has a lot to say about how we correct other people. Any arrogant use of scripture is completely missing the point. Correction in scripture is always relational first, always done in love, always done out of spirit of absolute humility and wide open awareness of our own sinfulness. So the right posture when we correct someone, instead of being puffed up and conceited and, and the expert who's going to, I just need to put you in your place, it's Christian love, I, I love you and so I'm going to be a little hard on you. No, that doesn't, doesn't work. The right posture is to come alongside someone and say, I see you've gone off the path. 
I do that a lot too. And as a fellow path wanderer and sinner, um, I've been correct gently by others and I want to come alongside you as someone who is also stumbling along trying to follow Jesus, but let me help you get back on the path. That's the spirit in which we are supposed to rebuke and correct people. And here's a verse to prove it. It's Galatians 6.1. It's in your notes. There's a million verses to prove it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, sin, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, not someone who just became a Christian, who's on fire for the world and is ready to tell everybody else that they're going to hell, you who are spiritual, you people who have been tempered and seasoned with grace, who stay put in a Christ-centered family and community in a way that it has tempered and seasoned you, unless you're in a community that is led by false prophets. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, here's how he says to do it, okay? Should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Imagine that. Like, so I hear some people correcting others. I'm like, did you just, you, you must not know this verse exists. Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself as you are correcting so you don't get puffed up because now my identity is a corrector of people with bad doctrine. My identity is a corrector of people who aren't living for God. Keep watch on yourself on that. That feels like pride lest you too be tempted. If the person is puffed up with conceit, they're not speaking on behalf of God. More evidence of bad fruit can be found in 1 Timothy 6, 3, 3 and 4. Another thing that I underlined in your notes is unhealthy craving for controversy. Um, you know, love stirring up drama. Argumentative. They want to debate everything. What about quarrel? They quarrel about words. That's in that passage. It means they're nitpicking. If you don't use exact theological precision with everything that you say, they're going to nail you for it. They will find something, I promise you. Nitpickers. Uh, they produce dissension. They're, you know, dissension is you're, you're planting seeds of discontent, planting seeds of um, restlessness in others in a way that dissents them from the group. You're like, eh, they're not doing it this way. They're not doing it my way. I wish they would do this. I wish they would do that. And that's dissension. That's dangerous. A mark of a Christian, a healthy and growing and mature Christian, is you're easily contented. You don't complain a lot. You're pretty easy to be around. You're not demanding of other people. You don't want them to, everybody has to treat me this way or I'm just not going to be happy. You're chill, relax, love people. Come with the attitude of serving and caring for others rather than expecting everyone to serve and care for you. All right, evidence of good fruit. What does a, if someone's doing it right, what does it look like? And no one does it right 100% of the time. I'll just tell you that much right now. That's why I need the shepherd team and you guys to correct me when I start going off path, because I will, because guess what? I'm a human being. I don't have a glorified body yet. I still have sin in me. So I mean it when I say, correct me when I need it. I have a couple of you corrected me recently on some things, and it's awesome because you did it in love. Here's what it looks like, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in determining if someone is a false prophet, do I see evidence of the Holy Spirit actually living in them to begin with? Let's start with that. Let's do ground level. Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is living? I don't care what you know. I don't care how many verses you've memorized. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care that you can use this weird prophet's name. I don't care. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? If there isn't, I don't have a lot of time for this, right? So are they getting more loving with time? Are they getting more joyful? Do they have a peaceful come off about them? When you're around them, do you just do your shoulders just relax? Do you just take a, like a deep breath, like, oh, so good to be with you. I need a non-anxious presence right now. Do you feel like that around them? You should. Are they getting more joyful with time? Do they have a peaceful come off about them? Are they growing more patient in their demeanor? Are they becoming kinder to people? Are they growing more gentle in dealing with others? Those are some pretty good questions you can ask. Pretty good questions. What about this? What's the one word that you should use to describe God and every one of his followers? Just take a, it begins with an L and ends with an of. Anyone want to take a guess? What's the one word? What do you, say it all at once. One, two, three. Yeah, that's really clear in the Bible because God actually is love, he says. That's the identity marker of every follower of Christ. That's what Jesus said. Ideally, people will know you, people outside the church will recognize that you're my followers by the way that you love one another. So let's take a sampling, just a little tiny bit. What does love look like? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 is in your notes. Love is patient and kind. So anyone who's not these things is not operating in love and should be corrected. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. That's important to God. He doesn't want his followers and people speaking for him to be rude. Isn't that interesting? He actually cares about that. Be nice. Don't be rude. Really easy. Does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable. What about that? God cares about these little things. Like, if you're easily irritated, yeah, not walking in love. Not resentful. Here's the big picture, friends. You can say all the right things and still be a false prophet. You can have precise theology, but it doesn't give you an get out of jail free card. You could get an A plus on any theology exam and it doesn't even mean you're a Christian. It's really hard for us in the West because we think being a Christian means having all the, all the right Bible answers. You can say all the right things and have a heart that's far from God. Do you know that? So how can we be assured that someone is not a false prophet? Examine both of these things. And this is the only fill in the blank. Doctrine and demeanor. They ought to have the right doctrine and they ought to have the right demeanor. So they're, they're representing God wisely and well by saying the right things about him. That's doctrine. And they're saying it with grace and humility and love. That's demeanor. And it's not one or the other. 
You could know all the Bible in the world and not be a loving person, disqualified. And you could say all the wrong things about God, but really be a loving person about it. And just, I just love everybody and I'm saying wacky things about God, you're disqualified. You have to have both. That's it. That's today's lesson. Would you stand with me and pray? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.